if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yeah, so it's always fun. You get leftist former prosecutors calling you to tell you how this prosecutor, Thomas Binger, who is being ridiculed by the legal community all across uh, media, and I'm talking about experts, I'm talking about uh, law professors, I'm talking about career attorneys who are talking about the insanity of this guy's defense, or excuse me, prosecution of uh of uh of of Kyle Rittenhouse and uh and then I get a call from a guy identifying himself as a former prosecutor telling me that it was Kyle Rittenhouse who was at fault for being there. He didn't identify him businesses he wanted to protect. Kyle Rittenhouse was at fault, not the the arsonists, not the vandals, not the those who commit assault, not those who loot. No, no, no. Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't have been there. And you have to listen to the totality of the closing argument. I did listen to the totality of the closing argument, and the closing argument's totality is made up of individual points made by the prosecutor that were absolutely, incredibly uh, insane. That if you have a gun and you bring a gun and then you become the victim of a violent assault, you lose the right to claim self-defense because you have a gun? That you have to fight your way out of an assault with your own fists? He literally said, uh, why didn't he defend himself with his fists? You have to trust that you can beat up a guy that is attacking you rather than use the legally owned and uh, and carried weapon that you have brought with you. So I, you got to love it when you get left-wingers like that calling with uh, credentialed or, or at least claimed credentials of law uh, trying to tell you all of the things that were... Uh, that are completely, literally upside down from what the actual legal scholars are saying about this case. All right, speaking of legal scholars, Peter Kersenow joins us now, as he does each and every Tuesday at this hour. Peter Kersenow is a scholar, uh, excuse me, he's an attorney. He is a law professor, not at the moment, but has been a law professor, also a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and he is also a celebrated, noted author. Peter Kersenow, good morning. Bob, how are you? I'm hanging in, my friend. I'm hanging in. There's uh, there's a lot of very very dangerous stuff going on in our country right now, Peter Kersenow, that I uh, uh, that I certainly welcome your counsel on um, because I'm a little bit worried. 
I don't believe Kyle Rittenhouse will be convicted in Kenosha, Wisconsin, because Kyle Rittenhouse should never have been prosecuted in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the entirety of the case that was presented that was televised indicates that. Even the star witnesses for the prosecution essentially made the case for Kyle Rittenhouse. But Peter... We have seen absurd, ridiculous jury verdicts in the past, O.J. Simpson, and I'm worried because if this kid, 17 at the time, so I'll call him a kid, if this kid is not the poster child for self-defense with everything that happened to him that night that led to the three times he discharged his weapon, then none of us are safe. None of us are safe if we are being attacked and choose to attack back. We either fetal position ourselves and hope that it stops or and hope we don't get shot, or we run the risk of being prosecuted ourselves. And they'll cite the case of Wisconsin versus Rittenhouse 2021 as evidence of that when they charge people. This, that's how wide-ranging, I think, uh, the impact of this trial or this, uh, this verdict could be. There's a lot to say about this case. Uh, it, on so, so many levels, there are issues that arise and uh, one of them is, I mean, kind of what you alluded to here, over the last at least um, eight, nine years, ever since the Michael Brown case at least, we've had these political prosecutions. In other words, cases that appear to have been brought, and let me, as a caveat, I'm a lawyer, I've been a lawyer for four decades, and I generally don't comment critically about cases unless I have seen the entire trial. Uh, I, I, I've done enough of this work myself to know that you don't know how a jury's going to turn out unless, you know, if, if you step out of courtroom for 10 minutes, there may have been something that you missed that could have affected the jury's deliberations and the decision they come to. Um, but in this particular case, what we've seen, and in other cases, are these political prosecutions where prosecutors feel compelled. In this case, I don't think they felt compelled. From what I've seen, it looks like the prosecutors are fully on board with this. But they feel compelled to bring charges or elevated charges against a defendant because of the zeitgeist, because there's so much pressure, because you have riots or the potential for riots and destruction. Um, there's so much here, and, you know, you can unpack this in so many ways. I have seen commentary that seems to suggest that somehow race is a big issue here, and race has nothing to do with this whatsoever. But, of course, with the left, everything is about race. Then you've got the entire issue of where was the government in this? This would never have happened if the government did what our tax dollars are for. That is the first obligation of government is to protect the safety of the citizenry and their property. And they completely abdicated that responsibility in this case. And that's why you had Kyle Rittenhouse there in the first place, because the government didn't supply the National Guard protection that they should have supplied, nor the police protection. We're in the midst of the defund police movement. And so a lot of citizens, it wasn't just Kyle Rittenhouse, were out there trying to protect property that was damaged to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. And now a lot of the populace there in Kenosha are afraid that's going to happen again, even though apparently there's going to be about 500 to 600 National Guardsmen there. They finally learned their lesson only after tens of millions of dollars in property damage, people being killed and, and livelihoods being destroyed. There are a number of businesses there that will never, ever reopen again. So what we that's see right. here is this, this kind of political prosecution. And again, uh, I'm one of those guys who doesn't comment about a trial unless I've seen the whole thing. Uh, I think it's folly to do so. You can comment about discrete aspects of it. And what I've seen of it, and I've, I saw a good portion of the closing argument, and again, I, I'm always reluctant to you know, make a comment about what other attorneys do. Um, this was not necessarily, I saw the master class by 
Binger or Binger, I'm not sure how Binger. you pronounce his name. Binger. I, yeah. I pre- prefer Binger uh, for my, for myself. But nonetheless, um, the, it was not a master class in closing arguments, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Um, there are so many things. Oh, one of the things you should know, Bob. Well, and I well think this was the guy, by the way. This was the, was the guy, by the way, who questioned his star witness, uh, the one shooting, uh, the one person who was shot by Cal Rittenhouse during the attack uh, that survived, who admitted in open court. That uh, that he was shot only after he raised his gun and pointed it at Kyle Rittenhouse. Right. I mean, he literally right. made the case for self defense um, for the defense uh, and the pro- And by the way, the the picture you probably have seen of the prosecutor at the table with his head in his hands after that happened because he knew that he had just been sunk was Mike Gra- Gravely or Gravely, who's mm-hmm. the Kenosha County DA. He would normally be trying this case. But according to insiders there, and I'm reading it right now, um, Gravely literally passed this case to Binger because he, even though he's the lead DA, he passed it to an assistant DA because he knew it shouldn't be brought. He knew it was right. a loser. I, he knew that. he didn't have the, uh, they didn't even have enough evidence for the indictment, quite frankly. Uh, and, and so he didn't want to be the losing prosecutor in this case. So he passed it to Binger, and Binger essentially said, I'll do it because, well, he's, he's kind of an idiot, and he's been proved to be one uh, throughout the entirety of this trial. But they weren't, they weren't gung-ho about this. Uh, they were, they knew that they had to bring charges here because of look what happened. Joe Biden called him a, a white supremacist. Right. Uh, uh, le- leftists all over the media over the course of the last 12 months have been demanding justice because this this white supremacist came to Kenosha and shot other white people, by the way, uh, and, and he needs to be held accountable. So they had to bring charges, even though there were no... There was not enough evidence for these indictments, so much so that the actual DA backed away from it and said, I'm going to let one of my assistants handle this because I'm not taking the hit. Right, and what you had here is a prosecutor. Again, he's supposed to be going after criminals. And during the course of the closing argument that I saw, and I watched the closing argument and, and the rebuttal, um, again, I've, I generally refrain from commenting about the quality of the presentation. Let me just say that uh, I would not have presented it that way, <laughs> but under any circumstances, not just with respect to the substance of it, but the manner in which it was conveyed to the jury. I thought it was, uh, I'll just say that it, 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 I've seen better. Um, yeah. But what we have here is we've got a prosecution that felt compelled to do this, and I think, you know, they didn't have the facts, and they made so many fundamental errors, just the ones that I saw. Now, media bias is such that most of the population, because most of my population watches mainstream media, is not even aware of the infirmities with respect to this case. And that is one of the major problems here, because we have seen over the last several years that the media has covered news events in a certain fashion. Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot, that was completely false, the whole thing with Trayvon Martin, all the falsehoods that the media has perpetuated that all go in one direction we always know how the media is going to cover this and they've done it the same way here so that if and you know i think there's a very good probability based on the facts that we've seen that kyle rittenhouse doesn't get convicted although you, know, you never know what the jury's going to do as i say you never know unless you're in that courtroom 24 7 throughout the entire process but also because of the overlay of the political uh, pressure that's placed on them um but nonetheless if rittenhouse is acquitted it's going to be a conflagration again. People are going to be outraged because the masses of people have been conditioned that Rittenhouse is, number one, a racist for some reason that we can't divine. We don't know why. There was nothing to do with race in this entire matter. Um, well, and the argument, they, they, the argument, Pete, since... 
yeah, since you said we don't know why, the argument is he he came from, and, and by the way, people make it seem like he drove four hours to get to a place where he had no business. Uh, his mother's and his father's houses are 20 miles apart. His mother's is in Illinois on that side of the state line. His father's is in Kenosha. He he spends as much time in Kenosha as he does in uh, in, in Illinois. Their argument was that this, this white kid drove across state lines to go to a BLM rally. This was a BLM protest, which, of course, described by Peppermint Patty's Jensaki as mostly peaceful. But this uh, this white kid comes to a Black Lives Matter rally over the shooting of Jacob Blake and brings a gun. So clearly that's what makes him a white supremacist. He wanted to go there and shoot him some BLM people. That's the narrative. Yeah, but in the sane world, there's nothing to do with race here. In the sane world, no. we know the media world that that's I, I get all that. But this is this is one of those things again that everything is about race because they've got nothing else. They can't make credible, rational arguments so they have to infuse race. And you know, I've seen clips of some of these MSNBC clowns, frankly, talking about things that are completely detached from reality. They have a narrative that they need to perpetuate. They keep riding this and beating this horse. But nonetheless, the point is that we've got this uh, prosecution that now has been painted by the media in a way that if Rittenhouse is acquitted, is going to end up causing outrage among much of the population because they believe that, of course, he's guilty, you know, because everybody in the media thinks he's guilty because this guy, as you said, came across state lines. Nobody says anything about all the Antifa and BLM people who've crossed state lines all over the country to engage in rioting and pillaging and everything else. And by the way, here we have a prosecutor who, in his closing argument, again, at least I saw that, in his closing argument calls the people who were rioting heroes. Heroes. This is a prosecutor of all people. He calls people engaged in criminal conduct and then downplays the type of activities that the uh, the uh, alleged victims of Rittenhouse were engaged in. Well, he just tipped over a porta potty. He just set a dumpster fire. This guy. He just simply lunged at him with his weapon. I've never heard a prosecutor make excuses for criminality like this. And my own belief is. Uh, one of the things that, because I have no life, I like to do is watch, even when I'm not trying a case, watch closing arguments and juries engage their reaction to closing arguments, mainly in civil cases, of course, because um, that's what I do. But watch what works or what appears to work. Um, and closing argument is an art. Almost everything with respect to trial is an art. And there are certain things you don't do, certain things you do, things that even aside from the substance of the case, the facts of the case, if you do, could be very damaging to your case. One example comes to mind right away, and that is uh, Binger, in his opening statement, um, you know, uh, uh, claims that Rittenhouse pursued Rosenberg. Okay? He says this in his opening statement, that Rittenhouse pursued Rosenberg. It is Trial 101, Trial Practice 101, everyone will tell you this. You go to a uh, continuing legal education seminar, they will tell you this. I see it in my law school class. If you say something to a jury in your opening statement, if you say you're going to show something, you better show it unequivocally because juries listen for that. They listen to your opening argument, and then they go, well, he said he was going to show A. And then throughout the trial, they're going, okay, when's A coming? When's A coming? Why hey, well, I don't see A. And then if the evidence comes in and they don't hear A, boy, they're going to hold it against you. And that's what he did here. He says, look, he was, he was pursuing um, Rosenbaum. And just the opposite had occurred. That is really, really bad for the prosecution. That's just one thing. But the nature and the quality of uh, the closings, the summations here, um, uh, again, I'm not going to criticize, but I would have done it 
lot, a lot differently. Well, the, you know, the, the, fa- the fact that they have 500 guard, guard troops out there on standby, it's not in case he gets convicted. They don't expect riots and arson if he gets convicted, because people who believe in the rule of law don't riot and commit arson. People who do believe in the rule of law will complain, they'll argue, they will go to their TVs, they may even go to their social media outlets and complain about it. They're there in case he's acquitted. And and so my question to Pete to wrap this segment is, do you think the jurors will be concerned about the potential unrest if they vote to acquit, considering the fact that many of them, early on, we found out um, that uh, certain individuals individuals, uh, Antifa-style individuals, were videotaping the jurors, they were getting their information, they were, they were pl- planning on doxing them if they don't return the verdict that the angry mob wants. Are you worried about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll be very frank about that. We saw the same thing happen in Minneapolis, where up there uh, in the uh, uh, George Floyd uh, trial, the, the, the and I, I escapes me the officer's Chauvin. name, but in Derek any, Chauvin. right, Derek Chauvin. Um, it was clear there those people were being doxxed, they were being followed, they were very, very concerned. We find find out, and they're human beings. They understand that the pressure on them is that there may be a conflagration, riots, unrest. They may be targeted personally uh, if they come to the quote-unquote wrong conclusion, that is the politically approved conclusion. We even had a president of the United States who called Kyle Rittenhouse, without any evidence whatsoever, a white supremacist. This is a major problem, and this is a derogation of the obligations of so many different occupations, frankly. But the and fact Pete, they that had a chance to clean that up yesterday and chose not to. Jen Psaki was asked, why did Joe Biden call this kid a, wh- a white supremacist? And she said, well, we're not going to comment. Here, I'm going to play this for you. I know I'm late here, but super fast. Um, she was asked about, uh, about that, and, and she said, I'm not going to comment about an ongoing case uh, but then she comments on the ongoing case to defend the rioters and to persecute Rittenhouse. Listen. Is a white supremacist. So, Peter, what I, I'm not going to speak to right now is anything about an ongoing trial, uh, nor the president's past comments. Uh, what I can reiterate for you is the president's uh, view uh, that we shouldn't have, broadly speaking, uh, vigilantes patrolling our communities with assault weapons. We shouldn't have opportunists corrupting peaceful protests by rioting and burning down the communities they claim to represent. Pete, she just said that the pro- protest was peaceful and the Kyle Rittenhouse rioted and burned things down. That we shouldn't have opportunists, opportunists uh, 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 interfering with peaceful protests and burning and rioting. She blamed literally Kyle Rittenhouse for doing that rather than the actual rioters. I got to get yeah. a break. Uh, I want I want you to respond to that, and then we'll wrap this and move on on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, 1027, uh, now 1028, so let's let Peter Kirsten out respond a little bit to Peppermint Patty there, and then we'll wrap. We've got other things to talk about, including uh, Biden signing the Build Back Better infrastructure portion of the bill. The reconciliation, human infrastructure, one is still to come, and we'll get Pete's thoughts on that. But, Pete, you heard her. I'm not going to comment about an ongoing case here, but the president believes that we shouldn't have armed vigilantes running around with assault rifles, infiltrating and, and bothering peaceful protesters and burning and rioting. She's making, you know, remember Baghdad Bob? <laughs> I, I, she's, 
every single day she makes him look great. It's just incredible. They are completely detached from reality, at least in their presentation. I think they do operate in reality. They simply choose not to acknowledge it because because acknowledging it puts them at war with their own agenda. They can't do what they want to do if they acknowledge reality forthrightly. So they engage in these kinds of fictions. Um, Again, uh, Bob, I'm not going to make a prediction as to the outcome of this because, uh, again, I've been in a number of trials and I've watched a number of trials. And unless you're there 24-7, there may be – I can remember one trial I had just a few years back where – what I typically do and what many attorneys do is after the verdict comes out from a jury case, you go into the jury room and you talk to the jurors. It's one of the most instructive things imaginable. Now I send associates in there to to listen to it because – and in every single time, I think I had a, maybe a gotcha moment or something that was a critical piece of evidence. And I go in, I talk to them, I find out they didn't even pay any attention to that. There was some other thing that I had even thought about that they latched onto and thought that that was the definitive, that was the defining piece of evidence that changed the outcome of the case. So we'll see what happens in this one. I'm a little concerned because of all the pressure that's being placed on uh, the jury in this case. Yeah, I am too. That's the that's the big concern that I have. And again, we have seen juries make ridiculously insane decisions before for a variety of reasons. We've also seen them intimidated into making, uh, you know, a decision that perhaps that the the facts did not warrant and the evidence did not prove simply to protect themselves. And that is one of the huge issues uh, that we have been unable to solve in the criminal justice system. And I'm, there are others. There are others. It's not a perfect system. It's the best system, but it's not perfect. And this is one of its imperfections: is the jurors can indeed be intimidated and uh, influenced in a very, very uh, uh, dangerous way. All right, we'll stop it there. We'll take our news. Uh, On the other side, I want to talk about Biden getting ready to sign his infrastructure, quote-unquote, win. 10% infrastructure, 90% crap, and then where it goes from here. Also, let's go, Brandon, Getting uh, having a sit-down with the Chinese Communist Party leader, Xi Jinping. Pete's got thoughts on that, too, on AM 1420 The Answer. Just because the president is incoherent doesn't mean you have to be. The Bob France Authority, keeping you politically coherent on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1037. Now we continue on AM 1420. The answer with Peter Kersenow on this Tuesday. Pete, a couple of issues that we want to get you get to before you're done today. And the first one I want to talk about is the signing of the infrastructure bill. First of all, I don't know if you and I even talked uh, and um, that's to my my um, you know my my bad if uh, if that's the case about the thirteen Republican turncoats. They oh, did we not... didn't, and and I'll tell you that just infuriated me. We we okay. we were on the verge of talking about it, and I'll tell you, uh, uh, I want to pause so I don't <laughs> collect yourself a lot of... <laughs> because. It infuriated me to no end. But well, for those uh, for it, those who don't know, while you collect yourself, they just say they wouldn't have passed this because of the squad wanting to to tie the um, uh, reconciliation bill to the infrastructure bill, saying they will not pass one without the other because of their you know that's their Green New Deal Democratic uh, wish list. Um, they voted against this. Now there's only a four seat majority for the Republicans, or excuse me, for the Democrats in the House. When the squad voted against it, if all Republicans would have held the line, this bill does. Does not pass, but thirteen squish Republicans, including Anthony Gonzalez, voted uh, to pass this thing. And now we sit here with ten percent infrastructure, ninety percent crap, thanks to those thirteen Republicans. So, Pete, if you've got your composure, go. 
Uh, don't have my composure yet, but I would just correct you. It was, I think it's 14% infrastructure. So, you know, it's a significant oh. increase in infrastructure. Uh, yeah. th- this is yet another attempt. So many, Bob, you and I go around and we talk to a lot of conservative groups, and this is one of the premier aggravations of conservatives about the Republican Party, that we seem to always snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And we, we are concerned about all these Republicans who, who hand over the keys to the kingdom to Democrats. It's an amazing thing to watch. As you said, had they all stand for, not even all of them, you know, the, the majority of them simply voted the way the bulk of the Republicans had, we wouldn't be saddled with this horrific bill. And as you said, this has nothing to do with infrastructure whatsoever, or very little to do with infrastructure. We are in the midst of the highest inflation in 31 years. And yet at this time, we seek to sprinkle the economy with over a trillion dollars in fake money. This is going to have a considerable further inflationary effect, in addition to which it's not going to do anything with what it purports to do, except give more power to the federal government. One thing Yeah, yeah that- but Pete, don't forget the little dirty little secret. Did you hear it on Sunday on MSNBC? The dirty little secret is Americans can't afford the inflation. Oh, yeah, you know, Stephanie these people these people, uh, and I've heard Stephanie Rule three times in the last week and a half say just galactically stupid things. I, it's an amazing thing to me that these people can even spend five seconds on television without their elders pulling them off. This is extraordinary. And w- they say it's paid for, Bob? Paid for by what? It, they, the CBO scored it and said, uh, you know what? Not really paid for. In addition to that, anybody who lived through the Carter years understands what's this, what this is going to do. In addition to which, we have found out in the last year four and a half million people have lost, left, left the workforce, which means four and a half fewer million fewer people are going to be paying the taxes that purportedly are going to pay for this monstrosity. This is going to have just a devastating effect. It's dumb, but it's also something that's going to harm America in the long term. If Republicans are smart, <laughs> big if, right? Let's put aside those 13 Republicans. Even with those 13 Republicans doing what they did right now, for the first time in my lifetime, and I used to watch this very, very closely, Republicans have a generic ballot lead over Democrats by 10 points. Let me put that in perspective for you, Bob, as to what that means. Now, it's still another year before the midterm elections, but at similar points in the 1993-94 election cycle and the 2009-2010 election cycle, Typically, what happens is, in almost every circumstance, Democrats must have at least a four-point lead in the generic ballot uh, tally to break even. They have to have a four-point lead. Usually, they have a much greater lead than that. In fact, in most cases, Republicans never even get close to having a tie. All right? The two times when the generic ballot was tied, there was a tsunami in favor of Republicans. And that was in 1994 when the Republicans took a massive 54 seats when Gingrich became Speaker of the House. And for the first time in 40 years, Republicans took over Congress. That is when it was tied. and They took 54 seats. And then in 2010, a record 63 seats switched to Republicans. It was tied in 2010, too. So this 10-point lead is extraordinary if Republicans don't blow it and never underestimate the uh, power of the Republicans to do just that. But what we're seeing here is something that we've never witnessed in the context of the generic ballot in history. 
So Republicans need to understand that we are getting socialism shoved down our throats. The American people reject it. They reject CRT. They reject inflation. They expect, reject weakness across uh, the, the pond. They reject crime increases. They reject all of these things. But Republicans need to act, number one, like Americans, and number two, like the conservative party. And when they decide to cast their vote for something this stupid, I don't care if it's a, a vote in favor of Democrats or Republicans, this is sheer idiocy that's going to do profound harm to America and the American people. And, you know, Pete, one, one last thing on this. Um, they've been trying to tell us that the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill, which is the big monster, uh, is gonna is gonna net out to zero cost to the to the taxpayers because it's all paid for. Which, by the way, who's it paid for by the taxpayers? Uh, right. The CBO just came out and said, uh, no, this is gonna add just this infrastructure bill is gonna add two hundred and fifty six billion dollars to the deficit. Yep. Two, yep. So and I, they, and, they, and, they, and go on. All due respect to the CBO, they understated that because they weren't taking into consideration what what's going on right now in terms of. Four and a half million people having dropped out of the workforce, and those tax revenues won't be there. That was factored into the CBS, CBO scoring, from what I understand. So we're looking at a bigger deficit, and then no less a person than Larry Summers, Democrat in good standing, mm-hmm. has been saying for the last 10 months, this is going to be massive inflation, massive inflation, the likes of which we have never seen. Larry Summers has been around for a long, long time. Now, remember, he was Treasury Secretary at one point for the Democrats. And now they're saying, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He said that back in February. And they said, no, 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 not going to be inflation. And he's been proven right. And yet they're still attacking him. We are being sold down the river. The American people are going to be in bad shape. We already are in bad shape. You look at your gas prices, the meat prices, almost everything else out there. Again, inflation like we haven't seen in 31 years. Peter, our last topic for you this morning is uh, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Met with, uh, via Zoom, a virtual three-hour meeting with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume that one of the things they did not discuss is the ongoing genocide against the Uyghur Muslims who are in China and who are in concentration camps being tortured, being killed, and so forth. I'm going to guess that that wasn't part of the discussion between Brandon and uh, and Xi Jinping. Uh, I am going to believe that part of the discussion was, hey, thank you so very much for taking uh, such great care of my son. But maybe that one didn't make it to the to the, uh, to the media. Uh, go ahead, Pete. Yeah, um, look, th- this was, uh, I didn't watch it, but I saw several reports and tried to consume as much information about it as I could. I was waiting for certain things. I was looking for cer- certain things to happen to make sure that this wasn't a complete debacle. Uh, and those things, of course, did not happen because we have a debacle for president. What we had here is the Chinese remonstrating us, telling us what they want. It was supposedly cordial, but they said it in a way to make it unequivocally clear that hands off of Taiwan, otherwise we'll beat your butts because we know we have this infirm person as president here. In addition to that, the things that we should have addressed. Remember when they used to... And Biden uh, went along uh, with it, by the way, before you finished that part. Yeah. It wasn't just they said hands off of Taiwan and Hong Kong. Uh, one China policy is what you will respect. And Biden reiterated and said, yep, we're in one one China policy. Freedom for the people of Taiwan, freedom for the people of Hong Kong. It's not in uh, Brandon's dictionary. Yeah, exactly. Look, when your son's getting diamonds and millions of dollars from the Chinese, you know, what's what's a, you know, a, he can he can nod whenever G says so. Exactly. I was looking for just a couple of things. Taiwan was one of them, okay? Uh but a couple of the others were that um COVID okay? The Chinese unleashed whether it was intentional or whether it was accidental. 
Either way, the Chinese were responsible for the spread of COVID throughout the world, resulting in, look, all we talk about, CNN's always talking about COVID, 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 COVID. It affected the 2000. Uh, 20 election. It has an enormous impact on the United States of America, our economy, on, on people, our lifestyle in general. Same with the rest of the world. And we know the Chinese were responsible, either accidentally or intentionally. I am not sure which, but they were responsible. Nothing. Is there any Nothing doubt? Pete, is there any doubt that it was intentional? I'm getting so tired of people, you know, uh, still either still clinging to the wet market bat theory or the accidental leak theory. I mean, this this the the Look, when when this all went down, Dr. Fauci, by the way, and you probably recall, uh, back in 2017 said that this administration is going to face a, a shocking, surprising pandemic, number one. Number two, Dr. Fauci was funding the research in that Wuhan lab. And number three, Donald J. Trump was the biggest thorn in the side of the Chinese yep. in, in the last 50 years or more. Uh, they knew full well, the Chinese did, that Donald Trump was going to be a problem for them. And one of the ways to make that problem go away is to make him go away. Release this thing, kill a bunch of his people, have the people revolt on him and, 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 and vote him out. Don't, I don't want anybody to try to convince me. Here, I'm as convinced that this was an accidental leak from that lab as I am that the voting, uh, in 20, in uh, November of 2020 was all on the up and up. That there was no, yeah. uh, there was no illegal votes cast and no, uh, you know, none of the nefarious uh, things that we all know happened. Here's my take, Bob, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but what I think is that the initial release of the virus was accidental. That is, it wasn't supposed to get out of the lab, because we see that a lot of Chinese were ill and died from it. Uh, there was, you know, the report back in September that uh, it was initially released, and uh, the Chinese tried to contain it. What they did do intentionally was allow the spread of it. They allowed their own people infected with it to spread it throughout, first to Italy and other places in Europe and throughout the world, did not restrict travel, despite the fact that they knew of the infectious nature of this, the highly con- uh, contagious nature of this. So, but either way, regardless of whether or not it was intentional, I'm going to disagree with you on that, Pete, because of the Fauci spread. factor. Pete, the Fauci uh, factor cannot be dismissed. There, Fauci predicted in 2017 that there was a major pandemic coming, and suddenly, la, did he predict that there would be an accidental leak? No. The only way you make a prediction is if you know something is going to come that is intentional. He literally called it in 2017. Then it happened. You can't predict accidents. You predict things that you know are going to to be done. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Bob, the bottom line here is I think we both agree that the Chinese are responsible. However, it, it, whether it was intentional leak, accidental leak, but it was spread with knowledge of forethought. They knew what was happening. And the bottom line here is America has suffered egregiously in the rest of the world because of what the Chinese did. And yet not a peep about that from the president of the United States. Nothing. This guy ran on covid he ran on yes, COVID. It says nothing about it. He said more in just one debate with Donald Trump and Trump's uh, culpability for the spread of COVID than he ever uttered with respect to in his entire presidency about China and its culpability. And believe me, it's not just that that was bad. It's when he doesn't even raise that issue with the Chinese, the whole world is watching. That sends a message, a message of submission to the Chinese. And among other things, why the heck? Again, I'm not a big fan of necessarily boycotting things for the sake of it. But nonetheless, why are we even thinking about the Olympics in China when they have they're, they're engaged in genocide right now with yep. the Uyghurs. 
They are doing everything they can to undermine the United States throughout the world. They are, they are, they have been for 40 years stealing our proprietary, all of our intellectual property. They are engaged in a, at best, a cold war with us, and they seek to supplant us in every sphere of influence. All those things, and Biden's going along as if there's nothing to see exactly. here. And, and not boy, one my, of those things was brought up in their three and a half hours. Not yep. one of those things, and that's what I'm talking about, Pete. Joe Biden is unprepared to handle these things on the world stage. And people say, oh, you know, Donald Trump with his, you know, with his gruffness and his tweeting and everything else, he's an embarrassment on the world stage. We don't have the respect of our, of our, uh, you know, our colleagues around the world, whether they be enemies or allies. We don't have fear. We don't have respect. Are you kidding me? Donald Trump was the first man to stand up to China again in at least five decades. Joe Biden is laying down in front of them. The Olympics? Forget about the Olympics like you just said. He would not even, he is constantly talking about the United States as being a racially oppressive country, a country built on white supremacy. He's constantly talking about uh, trying yep. to lift up the oppressed people in this country. He says nothing to a man overseeing the oppression, the torture, and the murder of people based on their ethnicity and their, and their religion. The Uyghur Muslims are being tortured and killed, and Joe Biden laughs it up with Xi Jinping as if it's not even happening while turning around to us and saying, you disgust me. America, and you, that's you, because, you, Bob, you systemically racist country oppressing people of color. I mean, that, that's the part that I just cannot stand by and, and not address. Yeah, and, and a large part of that, Bob, is, and I agree with you entirely on that, a large part of that is because the funders of his party and many of the elites, they get much of their revenue from China. They don't want to upend the, the you know, they don't want to kill the golden goose. You see it with the behavior, the supine behavior of the NBA, of many of our manufacturing companies that bring in their products or have their products made with the slave labor of the Uyghurs. All this stuff, it's just despicable. They are engaged in the kind of suppression that we haven't seen of any kind of ethnic group since World War II. Truly despicable and extraordinary, and yet we sit there, say nothing whatsoever, and that telegraphs a weakness that invites aggression, aggression that's dangerous to the United States of America. We're in a very dangerous time right now. We've got the weakest president that we've ever had in our history. We've already dem demonstrated that in just the first 10 months of his presidency. Not a good time to be an American right now because we are in peril. Consider this, Bob. Because of the complicity of the media and their corruptness, um, something that I've been talking about for a long time, and it just boggles my mind that we it's not 24-7, is two things. Number one is we still have people left behind in Afghanistan. This is extraordinary. And on top of that, Bob, we have a hostage crisis going on right now. Right now, there are 17 Americans, Americans, the most powerful country in the world for now, being held hostage by the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere in Haiti. And have you heard a peep out of it? Have you heard anything from this administration? Not a Now, I'm hopeful that they haven't heard a thing from the administration or we haven't heard a thing from the administration because they are engaged in preparations to send in Delta or the SEALs or somebody ah. to rescue these folks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But we have not heard anything, and the complicit media trying to cover up debacle after debacle. If this were Trump, it would be 24-7, day whatever it is of the hostage crisis in Haiti, not just in Afghanistan, but in Haiti also. What happened? And these are Ohioans. Yeah, it's, being left to our, it's being left to our representatives, our, our congressional representatives, to even raise the alarm about this, because the Biden administration is too busy spending money we do not have. 
Peter, close with the three words I want to hear. Let's go, Biden. <laughs> Brandon, I'm sorry. Let's go, You Brandon. blew it. I just teed it up for you. You swung and you, you missed. You did. You did. I got too <laughs> exasperated here. Hey, uh, thanks for asking me to sub on, on Thursday. Please call in, everybody. We're going to have open lines, but we're also going to have a couple great guests. It's going to be a great show. Thanks very much for asking me, Bob. Awesome, Peter. Thank you very much. All right, 1054, final segment coming up. Only have time for a couple quick ones here, so let's do it. Uh, Diane in West Park, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Diane. Good morning, Bob, and thank you. This was a great program today, thanks to Peter Kersenauer, who is such a a professional, and uh, his laughter said it all. But, (laughs) hey, Bob, just three words. Let's go, binger. <laughs> you know what? I feel the same way after watching that atrocity of a, of a, of a prosecution. <laughs> Thank you very much, Diane. I appreciate the phone call. Let's go, Binger. Uh, Tanya and Akron. Hey, Tanya, go ahead. Hey, Bob. This is, uh, yeah, we had a great show yesterday. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to say is that we need to think of two things the collective and the community. The collective is communism, where everybody wants us to go, even your, your guy that, uh, uh, the lawyer to talk. That's collective thinking. We lose all our rights, and we don't have a right to defend ourselves, religious freedom. The community is where we as citizens, when we see our community in trouble, we run to be neighbors, okay? And this is not what our government wants. They want to take every semblance of us being citizens and being part of a community which means we are individuals first. And if we don't wake up, we're going to lose. We are, like you said, we have lost it. We have a chance to win it yeah. back if we stand strong. And we and we and thank you for the call, Tanya, as always. And, and it's a matter of courage to stand strong. And that's what we all have to make sure that we have. Thank you so much to everybody today. We'll see you tomorrow.